from Daylight. I'm Kazuki Akiba. I'm Brandon Beiser. And this is Sayonara Baseball. This is a podcast where you and I find unseen baseball gems by analyzing them alongside different trends, news, and motivation behind many moves around the league today. On today's episode, we'll look back at the American League and National League Championship Series. Later on, we'll preview the 2021 World Series. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Sinar Baseball. I'm Brandon Beiser. I'm here with Kazuki Akiba. It's not 3 a.m. this year. It's actually like the evening dinner time hour on a Monday. So we were able to record at a normal time this year to discuss what has transpired since our last episode, which means we have two championship series that have now come to a close. We now have two results of who will come to the World Series starting tomorrow night on Tuesday night. And if you're following baseball, you already know it's going to be Houston and Atlanta, the battle of a team that we thought would make it and a team we frankly thought had no chance. Let's be, I'm I'm the first to admit this. My father called me out on it. He texted me sayonara, Brandon, as like our first negative review, my first negative review after being here for a year now wants me off the podcast because I picked the Braves in to lose in four and they won in six. But in 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 our own defense, Kazuki and I both got Houston in six and it happened Houston in six. And we'll start there. And if you haven't been with us as we do these uh, playoff recaps or a little bit new to the format, we kind of go through box score versions of every game, discuss some highlights, some key points, and then we'll go back quickly through the series itself and just talk about some moments and important factors that will contribute then and then potentially in the future for both teams, the winning and losing team. And we'll start with the American League. Went six games, Boston and Houston. First game was close. Uh, both teams end up with mostly a bullpen game. Stars lasted about three innings at most. Teams did poorly about runners in scoring position. Uh, one one for 16 combined. Uh, both teams left nine on base, respectively. That's good for the playoffs. Uh, Kike Hernandez homers twice. Altuve and Correa homered. Houston's bullpen, five consecutive innings, closed the game out from the fourth to the eighth. Well, then closed the game out in the ninth. They allowed a run. But they Houston wins five to four. So that was the tight, close game. And my initial thought after this, and I'm going to come to... We're going to come to why this is important. I thought it was maybe as like my looming prediction. Does the overuse of the Houston bullpen cost them? Because we see that. I asked that question now, and I'm going to ask that question again in the Dodgers Braves series. Because in game two, something beneath the reddest of socks awoke. And Martinez endeavors hit grand slams. First, I believe that's the first time in MLB history, the postseason era, to have multiple grand slams by the same team in the same game. So that was a big to-do. Kike Hernandez continues his hot streak, another home, another, another home run. And that was all the runs. They scored all nine runs on home runs. They chased Luis Garcia, who also left due to injury, but he will return. Jake Odorizzi came in and went four innings, pitching up the second grand slam. And Nathan Eovaldi pitched great. It was Red Sox score all their runs. 
Houston score of all their runs. That was the split on this game, and we call it. And then we go back to Boston, and uh, the reddest of socks in the, in the uh, continue their hot streak. 12-3 win, another Grand Slam. Uh, this one they chased Urquidy out. Schwarber hit a home run. In that, Schwarber was a Grand Slam artist. Arroyo hit a home run. Every Boston starter had a hit except for Oklahoma, um, Los Angeles Raiders wide receiver Hunter Renfro, a.k.a. the right fielder on the uh, Boston Red Sox, Hunter Renfro. Eduardo Rodriguez pitched a great game. So we're, we're, we're seeing that the Boston Red Sox have good pitchers now, and that's great. We saw good pitching last game. And this was the Red Sox game start to finish. Clear as day. Uh, game four changed everything. I am. I will say that for sure. I think I will go back and say, but I think game game four changed the face of this series, and it wasn't the the what we'll get to the call. I think it was the the thing that you, you burned. The Red Sox just made a lot of bad decisions in this game, which made that call look a whole lot more important than just bad decisions. So the Astros were down and out with starters. Like they put Ranky in there, and he only goes on in, an inning in a third and lost up a Bogarts home run. The Astros trailed two to one until the eighth inning when Altuve hits a home run off Whitlock, the more stable member of that bullpen. And before that, they had Pavetta, Taylor, and Ottavino pitch up into that point, and then Whitlock gives up the home run and two two going to the ninth inning. The ninth inning. This is the decision that that will, I think, haunt. Alex Cora forever for the series. He puts Eovaldi in as the de facto break up the game pitcher, settle the game down, gets to the ninth. This is how the inning broke down. Correa leadoff double. Kyle Tucker, who we know has been hot, strikes out and they walked Guriel intentionally. First and second, one out. Aledmus Diaz comes up, strikeout. It's exactly what Eovaldi is supposed to do when he pitches. Jason Castro evades that really close call, and the next time he next next set of pitches, single scores Correa, and then the inning went sideways. Eovaldi leaves after he walked the next batter Altuve, and then Perez comes in. Gives up a basis-clearing double to Brantley. Bregman walks. Alvarez singles. Correa singles. Tucker singles. So we've already batted around at this point. And Gurriel flies out. Inning over. Houston leads 9-2. Game over 9-2. And the reason why I'm going to fight that, I'm going to fight to say that was the poor decision, is you do not need to bring Eovaldi in because you had Robles. You had other you had Brazier and Robles in the bullpen. And they could have done pretty much that. But you, burnt, you, you threw up a starter in here for 27 pitches. So you're just offsetting mentality and just you're launching your lineup cards. And it's just a lot of unnecessary panic. Because the next night, next game, game five, Houston wins 9-1. And I will come. This is the point from game one where can Houston make the starters work? Valdez goes eight innings. I think that's the longest of any starter of any series so far. 
goes eight innings, allowing one earned run on three hits, five strikeouts. Only run was a Devers home run. Houston went six for 15 with runners in scoring position. Jordan Alvarez becomes MVP Alvarez. Three RBIs in this game. Yuli Gurriel had four. Brantley and had another RBI, and Siri had another RBI. Chris Sale went five and a third with seven strikeouts, allowing four runs. But the bullpen was not a consistent because you brought back Martin Perez. Martin Perez. Brazier was not great in this game, let's be honest here, but you brought in Perez again, and Perez was terrible the night before. So again, you're just throwing, you're, you're just, like, the whole the whole like plan of the bullpen now is completely fraught. Go down back to Houston for game six. And this is the Houston shutout game. It's like, we, should, we, play, we beat you 9-1. Now we're going to beat you 5-0. 5-0. Sorry, soccer fans. Luis Garcia leads the charge. Luis Garcia, who was injured, we thought, comes back, pitches a nice game, a great game. Five and two-thirds. One hit, one, run, one walk, seven Ks. Houston pitching allowed only two hits. The entire game. Kike Hernandez, Alex Verdugo. Eovaldi held strong for four and a third. But he pitched two nights ago. Or three nights ago, technically. It was a Friday. He pitched on a Wednesday. Uh, Tuesday. But Eovaldi went from starter, bullpen, starter. He pitched a decent game, but he couldn't go very deep in the game. And then every bullpen pitcher gave up an earned run. Jordan Alvarez was in awesome. Kyle Tucker was awesome. And that was it. And this series was marked by a few important points. The three grand slams for the Red Sox, and they lost. Jordan Alvarez is the first player ever to out-hit the opposition. He out-hit an entire team. Luis Garcia had a no-hit bid. The longest, the second longest by a rookie pitcher. The other by Michael Waka, who is currently on the Rays. And Dusty Baker will have the ability. He has now won pennants in both leagues and will have the ability to win a World Series now in both leagues. That's your American League Championship Series. Uh, Houston wins in six. We don't like either of these teams personally, uh, but I will say I am now... I can now see why the Houston Astros strike fear into people. That's basically why I walked through this. Houston Astros can strike fear into people. You make one wrong move, and they're going to get you. And they did. I think the wrong move was to not bring in Robles, particularly. Brazier, too, actually. I'll say that, too. In that game, when it was 2-2. After that, the whole it's the, all the wheels just fell off the bus. We're done. The, the call was just what made it look worse. Not to bring in Eovaldi when listening to Dan Schulman and Eduardo Perez just basically seemed puzzled on ESPN radio as to why they did not bring him in. That's what said it for me. That's where I stand on this series. What are your thoughts on how Houston went all the way down the road here and got it, got it done in six? I mean, it was pretty expected, honestly. Um, I didn't expect him to be like torn apart for like a couple games. And, you know, the momentum was very much shifting into the Red Sox's hands until that, you know, call happened. And like that, everything just uh, reversed. Um, 
it's interesting to see like how the Red Sox has been working offensively too. They're like Jackal and Hyde this whole series. They either out hit you or they never won. And I think we discussed this in the ALDS. If they don't score at least five runs, they do not win a game. And that, that's how they, that's the how they beat thing. Tampa and they couldn't do it. When, when they got shut down, like they did in Tampa, they got shut down versus Tampa, they lost. Like they cannot win a close game. They cannot, they cannot hold the team to a close game. That when they did, it was not an ugly, it was not a, not a, not a pretty, pretty close game, that 5-4 game in game one, because Houston's bullpen shut them out for five consecutive innings. Uh, we got to get props to our friend Kendall Graveman, shutting yeah, down Kendall, both in game one. Kendall Graveman pitched, pitched, game five. Came, came in and pitched quite well for the Astros. Uh, I will say that Jordan Alvarez surprised me. I did not expect him to be as much of a profound hitter as he was. Kyle Tucker still strikes the most fear into me as I see him at bat. I feel like every time he hits it, it's an absolute rocket out of the park. Uh, I'm surprised at the Grand Slams. Way to play Tampa Bay baseball, which is funny because isn't Hein Bloom from Tampa Bay? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, it just it just eerily felt like it. So let's almost hit a bunch of home runs and try to win a game, and they didn't do it. And that's what happened. They tried to hit a bunch of home runs, and they didn't win games because they, they hit a bunch of home runs and won a game. And then afterwards, when they couldn't hit home runs, they lost games. And like you said, it's a bunch of bad, uh, you know, pitching decisions, like going in and taking the uh, starting pitchers like off the hook real quickly. I mean, it's been the uh, trend since 2016 when the Cleveland Indians, when was their hot hands, like cutting down their starter by three innings and going to Andrew Miller. Problem is, uh, you got uh, Boston Red Sox has been doing this all season, especially in September on closed games where Pivetta comes in in relief and close the game so uh and Whitlock you know pitched two great innings until he gave up that home run to Altuve in game five so there's a lot of uh just bad just bad the timing. Red Sox relied on their bullpen and their bullpen's very good when it's when it obviously every bullpen's good when they're good but Nick Pavetta is a former starter he's a great pitcher Adam Adovino has been through I think every every motion possible from the teams he's played with and He's a solid pitcher. So I, I respect what the pitchers offer. But the problem is, is you didn't trust the other guys who had been there too. Robles, and was, Brazier, to, to, to also contribute when you needed them. Like you didn't have to bring in Eovaldi. I get the, I get the mentality. So why you brought Eovaldi? But you didn't need to bring him in. And that's kind of where I... I, I lend my course like that. Like you said, that decision changed everything because it set the whole plan off. Yeah, and I think it was a short series. Like you know, when hitters see multiple pitch, the same pitchers over and over again, they get their quirks. They have their scattering reports. They get used to it. So uh, that's why Perez you know, got winning games two nights great. in a row. Perez is out. Perez is getting rocked two nights in a row. I mean, he's also not a good pitcher. So I don't know. two nights in a row, he gets rocked. Uh, but we'll get into why Houston is here when we talk about the World Series preview at this point. The last, my last house in the Red Sox are, I'm not sure how they can keep this team together to a certain degree. Like some of these players seem like they are destined to go elsewhere. I'm not sure contract-wise where they can, but like they were shuffling lineups so much. I mean, they have this odd, odd man out, Travis Shaw, who used to be so good with the Brewers, and now he's stuck in like as like a fill in there um they have they have a personal catcher situation which is 
obviously coming up to always be with Pulowiecki. Uh Kyle Schwarber, I don't think he's destined to stay there. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. He's ready for the yeah, contract to come now after his one-year deal. Yep. He played it out perfectly. The, the last thing really is Kike. I'm going to say this about a person on this team who had the uh, postseason for, for the ages, which is Kike Hernandez. When we saw him play in Los Angeles, he didn't really have a chance to shine and be like the center face of a, of a, of a run or a, a team. He was arguably for a quite some time the best player in the Red Sox. And I wonder how much they, if what's going to, what's, what say him for this next iteration of the Red Sox now? Because it's basically him, Verdugo, Bogarts, Devers, fill everyone in. JD Martinez is, is getting paid an absolutely absurd amount of money, regardless of what he, what's going on with him. But like, how are you going to build around these four core players with this team? Because if you spend a lot of money on everyone else, you can't spend money on pitching. And they have a weak pitching staff now, as we as we see. They are there. It can be easily beaten, which we saw throughout the end of the season and now. Because coming into the playoffs, they were getting hung out to dry by teams that were not designed to do that, like the Orioles and the Nationals. I think that's their main concern. Uh, can they get Garrett Richards back on track? That's another thing. Their bullpen, when it's when they can kind of organize it better, is good. But they got, like you said, they they repeated themselves too much. In a short span of time, you're going to lose. And I think that's what really did them in. Again, we'll talk about the, what the Astros have. The Astros, I think the one thing that hurt the Astros, saved themselves in the end, is they have no starters left. Like, who, they have no starters. <laughs> like, you're telling Zach Greinke and has like a one in, one in, one inning and a third starter. Like, that's not a starter. Your starters are Valdez and Garcia. And that's it? I mean, would you put Jake Odorizzi as a starter in the World Series? I would like to, but I don't think Dusty Baker has the, the chutzpah to do it. I don't think the front office thinks Odorizzi is a starter. I think he's a bulk guy. Um, and I think that's what they're going to do against the Atlanta Braves um, moving forward. Yeah, not having Lance McCullers really hurt them in this series. Uh, but luckily, the rookies really stepped up. And the hitting, you know, they were fearful all season long, and they carried it. That's right. And with that, well, like Kazuki led into it, so we'll talk about this. The surprise of all surprises. The Atlanta Braves are going to the World Series, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to say it again. Friends of the podcast. The Atlanta Braves are going to the World Series, and the players on the team do not include the following. Fred Crime Dog McGriff, Javi Lopez, David Justice, Brian Jordan, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin. Like these pitchers are these players are not there anymore. There's no Ryan Klesko. There's none of these players. We're going with Austin Riley, Freddie Freeman, Tyler Anderson, <laughs> or Ian Anderson, sorry. Um, Travis Darno, Adam Duvall, and we're going to talk about Madman Eddie Rosario. This team did something that I cannot believe. That's why I was honestly so out against them when we predicted our last in our last episode. But we'll start with Game One. Atlanta wins two to one. 
Dodgers go with this strange bullpen game where no pitcher went longer than an inning and, a, inning and two-thirds. Max Freed went six, pitched a great game. The Dodgers, again, left seven on base, went one for eight with runners in scoring position. Chris Taylor lost the game with this whack base running play. Uh, we'll describe that play right now. I'm gonna. I'm, I remember watching MLB Network. I've, I'm a. I'm not quite sure who was doing it. I want to say it was Carlos Pena who was there, who was doing this. He did a great re. Whoever was there did a great reenactment. Taylor is on first. There is a single that goes into right center field. And what happened was, it was easily fielded but it was in the wrong track line to like make a, like it was a track on the track. You should, you, you, you should, could possibly run to third, except the throw went to second. The throw from right field went to second and Taylor hesitated as he, he didn't look where to turn and he just turned. And he, as he made that left turn to third, Dansby Swanson had the ball before he made like two steps away. And Chris Taylor's fast, but he ain't that fast. And he's cut down game over and perfect run, perfect um, cut, perfect uh, uh, rundown. We're done. Austin Riley finishes the game 2 1. We move on. Game two, tight game. Atlanta wins 5 4. Another close one. Game two felt like a lot. Game one, Dodgers went one for 10 with a great position. They left a total of 10 on base this game. The Braves got to Urias late in the game to tie this game. He was brought in for an inning after pitching four innings in game five of the DS. He had a scheduled start in game four. So there was a lot of, again, strangeness in this game. Braves had a walk-off win and welcome to the, welcome to the, the MVP or MVP Eddie. Four for five, game-winning hit. And we look at, we're going to start collecting our names of players that have stepped in for the injured Queen Jr. So Eddie Rosario. Jorge Soler is currently on the COVID IL list at this point. Adam Duvall, Jock Peterson. Four names to replace the, a likely, an MVP candidate in the of the year. Corey Seager had a, Corey Seager playing short, playing second in this game. I'm not quite sure it was. Pressed a backhand, a liner, and it just flings off his arm, off his wrist, and goes in center field. Game over. I mean, like that. Uh, we're here again with this. Like, uh, like one thing you should net. Well, I'll go back to the Gabe Kapler line from the the ALDS. You should never put your team in a position where one play will make the difference. Chris Taylor had one bad bunning base, one base running play that made the difference. Corey Seager had one fielding play that made the difference. You should never put your team in a position that way. Dodgers aren't designed for that. And that's game two. Going back to LA for game three, tight one. The Dodgers win. Corey Seager hits a home run. And then we think the wheels are coming off completely in this game. Jock Peterson hits, gets... Is continues excellent performance. Duvall, Rosario, Swanson collect RBIs. Walker Bueller leaves after three and two thirds, throwing 76 pitches. And it is five to two. Bottom of the eighth inning. 
And the worst, best player on this team right now, Cody Bellinger, hits a massive home run. Ties the game 5-5. Mookie Betts doubles later, scoring Chris Taylor. So everyone had all the bad players from the other from the previous two games had a redemption game. 6-5 game over. Game four was kind of like the make it or break it. Like if Dodgers tied it 2-2, it's a lot even, it's a lot more even to go through this. But um no. Eddie Rosario homers twice. Duvall, Peterson, and Friedman pick up the rest as the Braves route the Dodgers to push the series to a 3-1. 3-1 series lead. Burrius had a poor performance going five innings, giving up five earned on eight hits. Gonsolin allowed the remaining four runs in the final two innings. Braves with a bullpen game, most putting most of their onus on Drew Smiley and A.J. Minter. But 9-2. And, and now I have game five in L.A. the following night. And I'm going to say something that I, I am going to maybe about to discuss this year, next year. Role players are not designed for what's going to happen in this game. But if there's anything that this series is about, it's the it's it's the it's the strength of role players. Chris Taylor and AJ Pollock deliver five combined home runs and ten RBIs, ten RBI and five home runs between two players who, frankly, are not everyday players for this team on a regular year. Cody Bellinger and Justin Turner had each had three hits. We're going to learn that Turner is going to get injured in game five, too. He gets injured in this game. Dodgers bullpen holds on to give them their starters a bit of a rest. Max Freed had a poor game. Four and two-thirds, eight, in, eight hits, five earned, two walks. Every Atlanta pitcher that came in allowed a home run. Eddie Rosario had a hit. Freddie Raymond had the only RBI for the team. And we see the return of Jorge Soler. But this, this awoke the spirits out of some. Someone awoke the spirits out of some. Because Chris Taylor did something no one does. Hit three home runs. Six RBI. Pollock, two home runs. Four RBI. It's 11-2. That's game five. We're going to game six in Atlanta on Saturday night. And the game before the game was who's going to start for the Dodgers. Because Max Scherzer is not starting. This game. And Walker Buehler comes in. He gave up that big dub set of doubles in the first inning to Albies and Riley. Then he settles down a little bit, which is great. Good for him. They battled back with a series of walks and then two hits at the to two hits to play to run in the fourth for the Dodgers. The Dodgers have this game. And and then I'm gonna say that like this is an aside but related. I was watching, I was listening very, very closely to these games. And I have not heard the tomahawk chop at a Braves game in a very, very, very long time. I hear it at Florida State football games, which, spoiler for my friends who are listening to this, I am not a Florida State football fan, no, because of the tomahawk chop, because go Gators. But the, the tomahawk chop was going. People were really excited. And I don't like the tomahawk chop. I particularly don't like that chant. But you could hear people were loud. And the playoff wonderkind of Eddie Rosario comes up and absolutely hits a rocket. And the jubilation at Truist Park in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia, 
just explodes. 4-1, the Dodgers claw back one. The bullpen struck out 10 in the final five of this game. The Dodgers bullpen allowed only a couple of hits, struck out seven in their five innings of work. So the bullpens did what they're supposed to do, but it wasn't enough at the plate for the Dodgers, and they lose the game 4-2. to two. And it is over, folks. It is Atlanta has won the NL pennant, a team that had a worse record than the Seattle Mariners, a team that we didn't think would even make the playoffs for a while, is in the World Series. This reminds me very much of like the, Mar- like the Marlins era, which is actually when this all happened again. In the 2006 it, Cardinals. Yeah. Where, where's David Freeze? I, I'm missing David Freeze in all of this. I feel like, I feel like a David Freeze moment does like come across. Eddie Rosario has tied the record for the most hits a single postseason. 14, an OPS of 560, third highest as single series. After David Ortiz in 2013 World Series, and a moment that ties me back to my one-year anniversary on this podcast. First thing I ever talked about in this podcast was 1995 ALDS. Edgar Martinez has the second highest postseason OPS in a seven game in a in a series at a 571. And then we go to all of these other great moments of Marco Scudero, Kevin Euclid, Albert Pulis, Seki Matsui, all these other players like doing these great things. And they had high best performances. Tyler Maxick had 11 strikeouts with runners in scoring position. This tied the most by a reliever in a single postseason to to the, oh my gosh, the legend, the legend, John Rocker which is an incredible thing you don't hear very often. It was the storybook ending for this man because we'll look back at this series now in totality. But the story of this series is Atlanta should have had every factor against them, playing the best team, the most likely team to get the World Series. They had had not their best player. Their pitching was wiped out. And who steps up? Austin Riley, who is a young man with a lot of pressure on him. He does great work. And then the, the, the story three in this case, not the four, the story three, Duvall, Peterson, and Rosario. The bullpen just hung tight, <laughs> but everyone else, like Freddie Freeman was his serviceable greatness, but everyone else. Just kind of collectively said, work on it. If we're gonna get we got beat up one game, fine. But every game they that the they won, except for the 9-2 win, was two runs or less. They kept it tight and they knew if they kept it tight, they could beat the Dodgers. And when the they won three of these games by one or two runs. That's how they win a game. And I think the thing that we'll it'll bring up now is what lost this game, the Dodgers hitting did not lose this game. But lost this game for the Dodgers is they had no starters. Julio Arias is a fantastic pitcher. Fairly certain he can win NL Cy Young if it wasn't for Corbin Burns. But Walker Buehler and Julio Arias, two pitchers basically under the age of 25, is all you got to start games. And that's rough. You can't go back to Kershaw. Scherzer's arm is dead. You got nothing. 
And I, Corey Knievel is a great pitcher, but he cannot come and pitch an inning and a third every time. Bruce Dargaderall cannot come in and keep pitching an inning and a third. It's like the same Paul Threat Sox. You can't keep seeing the same pitchers over and over again. And they tried their best. Dodgers just got, I think they got, they got exhausted. I think the Dodgers were literally exhausted by game maybe. I think game five took it out of them. Just that we're going to put everything we can on the line in game five. Because if they, if they had finished the game in series in game five, if it was flipped and they won the series in game five, I think that'd be different. But they were trailing 3-2 after game five, not winning the series 3-2 after game five. I think that's what did it. I think they literally just, they had had enough. Going five against the Giants and then going to the ropes every game it felt like with this team, the Braves, that's what did it. And not to mention, you're talking about Kershaw and Bauer being out since July. Scherzer, like, sure, helping out. And Danny Duffy, that trade didn't really happen because he never pitched for the he never Dodgers. never pitched a single inning with the Dodgers. So you put pressure on Bueller and Urias, who's only pitched, uh, like less than what 130 innings and then now they have to they pitch over 180 innings uh this regular season in a tight matchup against the Giants they're playing playoff baseball in the second half every single game until you know the playoff happen and then after that you have to play the wild card and then play the Giants again yeah I can't imagine like um going through another series after that there was like the out of positionness of Trey Turner it felt like Trey, Trey Turner said like, if he just seen the opposition Corey Seager like the whole infield just was a mess a couple of games. It was just, I think they, like I said, I think they just lost their own battles this game. The, the, the Braves made it, Braves exposed every vulnerability you could possibly imagine with the Dodgers. And then the Dodgers also lost because they were tired. Like I I, I, I want to say that with, with empathy. You went to the brink against the other best team in the league. And then you had to go play a team that really had nothing to lose. Like there's, like there's a playoff mentality when you have nothing to lose. Like, I'm just going to go out there and hit, throw strikes. They hit and throw strikes. And the Braves won. The, the pearls are, are, are shining brightly on Jock Peterson. Eddie Rosario went from a no-name player to being the, the most cheered player in the Braves right now. And they're doing this all without Ronald Acuna Jr. And Jorge Soler is going to come back into Full health. I'm going to put that in air quotes a little bit. Starting on tomorrow night. We went two series that ran six. The Dodgers got a lot of thoughts coming up. We're going to have a whole off-season discussion with the Dodgers, if I felt like. Because at this point, you have pitch players that could leave that team. I'm going to try to, I might lose count. Duffy, Scherzer, Turner, Corey Seager. Turner still there. Both Turners will still be there for another year. Turner will be there another year. Scherzer can can go. Seager can go. Justin Turner. Justin Turner was injured in that game in game six, which is another blow. Max Muncy wasn't even there. I think that's another thing I want. The fact that they had wrote like the pro like they you couldn't fill Max Muncy's shoes at first base in this whole playoffs. Like you burn, you, you you burned your bench. You had you couldn't fill the bench quite as nicely as you wanted to. 
And Gavin Lux was out of position every every way possible. But their whole offseason is how do we make this team healthy and stick together and not spend a boatload to keep it that way because he already gave up the farm, literally, for everyone else. But we'll talk about this in the future because we've already heard reports out of Seattle that says they could target, they could swap Seegers. And I think that's a a big step and a big notion to think about, like exchanging Seegers in Seattle, but also losing a Seeger in Los Angeles. And what's got with the pitching in LA because you burned all that off. Bauer, for everyone who's been listening, we have our thoughts on Trevor Bauer as a pitcher. We have our thoughts on Trevor Bauer as a human. They are now intertwined very clearly. And he will not be pitching for the Dodgers ever again based on any portion. The fact he wasn't in this season was one thing. But he, like that whole team is going to get literally torn to shreds on the pitching side. I'm not sure exactly what they can keep, what they can't. That, that that's kind of where this team stands. And we're going to go further in depth when we try to collect our offseason guests as we did last year, talk about what's going on. But the Dodgers exposed every little problem that they could have in terms of player management and player personnel from this point to next season is an absolute just mess of how do you maintain some of these contracts, keep some of these players. Because as we've seen with other teams, same thing with the Braves. You're getting back Acuna hopefully next year. But you got three players now that you could trade, that you could sign, and you could sign maybe. But they, they well, I don't know what's going to happen with any of these. So these whole, these both teams are just collections of individuals with a ton left aside for after the year. But that's that's for after the World Series, uh, because. Any any last thoughts before we we end this out here? No. So we'll uh, af, now that we've closed out our our thoughts here. I I have ended my tirade against the Dodgers at this point in my false prediction. So coming back to the break, it's time to do what we did one year ago in a a way that we never thought we kind of thought we'd predict. But we're going to talk Atlanta Houston as the 2021 World Series. Welcome back, everyone. It's time to discuss Braves Astros 2021 World Series, a half of which we predicted, half of which we did not. We'll, we'll go through each team and start. Th- so I'll start with the Astros as to what, what we have to watch out for here. First of being is who's going to pitch? <laughs> That's the first thing I want to discuss here is the Astros is who are they, they going to pitch? I have no idea who their stars are going to be other than basically Valdez and Garcia. Uh, Granky cannot be a starter. Can Granky? You think Granky can be a starter in the series? Grank, she can maybe pitch three innings, but uh, the second that's not half a starter. that's not a starter. Uh, second half still has lot to be left to desired. And we saw that problem with the Dodgers like that when you only have three pitchers to pitch a the pitch a series or two pitchers to pitch a series, you're not going to last very long. Their bullpen is very strong between Ryan Presley, Kendall Graveman, and everyone else in between. And the hottest bats imaginable are on that team right now, other than other than probably Eddie Rosario, who can match Jordan Alvarez or Kyle Tucker. 
But you have Altuve, Correa, Alvarez, Tucker, Gurriel. I mean, like, it's just name these people down the list. And it's just too much. Like, that's an overwhelming amount of, of, of strength at the plate. I think that's what I, if they overcome their shortcomings in pitching, that's what that's going to that's going to do it for them. It's that's going to be it's it's, it's going to be those hitters. I also think the key is going to be Alex Bregman, who's been kind of mediocre. Right, the one name I didn't mention in my list of players, Alex Bregman's been up down, and when he's great, he's been great. And Michael Brantley's the other player. Michael Brantley will get one good hit that's very meaningful, but he only he doesn't bat just once. Same with Alex Bregman, they don't bat just once. They'll bat three or four times a game. They are starters. They will start every game. Actually, that brings me to my next point. Who's not going to start in Atlanta? Who's going? How is the how are the Astros going to manage that lineup in a National League ballpark? Because if you think about it, Alvarez is the first one, the most likely person to not start. He's their best hitter. Like, how are you gonna how are you gonna manage that lineup? Let's see what we'll see tomorrow night when they when he's the first iteration of those lineups. I think uh, he's going to start in left field. Uh, that's been his position. So Brantley is most likely on the bench. And can you push the most veteran player on that team, it seems like, to the bench? And it's like, I guess it's Baker trying to be nice, trying to be assert, trying to be trying to be trying to build this out right. But Michael Brantley not playing left field, I think, is a significant blow to the the core of that left, the core of the outfield. And then pitching, we I talked about it. The starters, the one thing the the bullpen thinks. So I think that that's your that's your quick. Uh, that's my quick thing. But uh, I'll do the I'll do my anything you want to say else about the Astros before. Oh, it's definitely a bullpen game. If the bullpen's on point and all one through eight could hit, outside of uh, Martin Maldonado. Sorry, Martin Maldonado, you're a great uh, catcher, but not a great hitter. But uh, if all of them could hit, I think Braves are in trouble. Um. But, you know, there's a lot of good points on the Braves that I do want to bring up once we talk about the Braves. So what you're going to do right now. So I'll let you start on the Braves. So you on the Braves. Where will we start for the good? I think the key for the Braves, starting pitching, your top three star starters, Charlie Morton, Max Freed, and Ian Anderson. If those three could be a shutdown Cy Young caliber starters, especially like playoff uh, Charlie Morton, if he could pitch, uh, you know, Astros will have a lot of trouble. Uh, Morton gave them trouble last year when uh, Martin was pitching for Tampa Bay. And even the Dodgers had a, a hard time uh, hitting against him. So Charlie Morton and Max Freed, when it's curveball and his changeups on, I think that's going to really help him out quite a bit. And Ian Anderson needs to just be Ian Anderson and stay consistent. And the bullpen, they've been very good for the past, uh, you know, uh, post-All-Star break. So as long as Will Smith, AJ Minter, Tyler Matzik and Luke Jackson could all be consistent and hold it together. They'll be good. And we just need the hot streak from the offense, right? From the outfielders, uh, Jock Peterson, if he could keep up that October magic and Eddie Romitario to carry over that NLCS magic, I think the Braves are in a very good position to win. I will say this very, the Max Fried's first start Atlanta has to win. Atlanta wins Max Fried's first start. That set them up in the Brewers series. That set them up in the Dodgers series. They have to win Max's first start. I think they can win Morton's starts. Anderson's, the, the again, the, the question mark. He's a very good pitcher, but if he gets run early, it's, it's a bad notion. And that bullpen has been a little more volatile than we probably we hoped for. On the, on the batter's side, on the hitting side, they're set. And we know what their line's going to be. 
Jorge Soler may throw a little bit of a wrinkle on how they're going to bring him back if they how they bring him back, but you have the outfield of of acquisitions between Duvall and Rosario and Pipe Peterson. I mean, that's fine. Corners, you probably have the two best, other than uh, maybe even the Astros, the two best corner infielders that you can imagine right now. Austin Riley and Freddie Freeman are, are your corners. You fill in the middle. And when we're set here, Dansby Swanson, if Dansby Swanson can start hitting again, I think this will mean a lot to that team because we, if we, yeah, and I agree with you. If Dansby Swanson could hit, that'd be great. But his defense alone just, you know, carries that team. Right. And where Dansby Swanson is the, I guess he was the one who cut down Chris Taylor. He's the one who's between him and Albies filling that gap. That that's a good core in the middle. But we look at the other other side, it's Jose Altuve. <laughs> I mean, when he doesn't make he either have 20 errors or be the best short, best second, best middle infielder in the game. So I think defensively, I consider the advantage goes to probably the Braves. But they do not have the firepower that the Astros do. That's what concerns me. And the other thing of the Braves that concerns me is their their bullpen simply is not as robust in terms of their strength as the Astros. And that's a quick preview, but I think I think I think we've reached the point now. We have to make our predictions. And this one's a lot harder than I thought it would be, uh, considering that my father is actively listening to this segment right now. And he's going to say to me, "I'm going to go Astros in seven because I think that." If the Braves keep it close, they have a shot to push it to six and seven. It's either going to be Astros and five or Astros and seven. I feel like the, that that's just going to really do it. Because if Max Reed has one good game, one bad game, that that that's the problem. But I have faith in the Braves to, to push it as far as they can. But I think in the end, the deficiencies in pitching are going to get very much exposed by the Ash for the Astros, but nothing between these two teams is as powerful as that top, top the entire lineup for the Astros. And I think that's what will push them over the edge. So Astros all the way, November third, Game Seven. You know, I'll do you one better. I'll flip the script. It's going to be Braves in seven. And the reason why I think is, you know, the Braves have all these power lefty arms. And if Matzik could keep up the success, he could neutralize both Jordan and Tucker. And all you have left are Correa, Altuve, Bregman. So if the starters could pitch deep and keep them off the hook and keep it close, and the offense and the aggressive base running, uh, you know, run, done by Ron Washington, third base coach, you know, sending them over and that amazing defense. I think the Braves could win it. It's going to be like that Nationals uh, Houston series in 2019 where you don't expect certain players to carry it, but Freddie Freeman, you know, could pull a Juan Soto, I think, and carry that team. And then the rest of the, you know, the teams, uh, the pitching will keep it close. And I think uh, with Charlie Morton there in game seven, I'm confident that they could win it. Yeah, if Charlie Morton can... If Charlie Morton can op can if Max Free and Charlie Morton can both win, that's that's enough to push them, I think, to a far enough to game seven. But we both think seven games between these two teams. That's a that's a ride. Ride into November. 
and our friends that that is it for today's episode. I will leave it at that. There's there's no reason to go beyond this. The next episode you will hear from us will be after the World Series. And we don't know how bad our predictions are going to be because as we saw last time, I was my bad prediction. But thank you for being here with us. And we'll see you again in November. And until then, enjoy the baseball. That's it for this episode of Center Our Baseball. This episode of Center Our Baseball is hosted and produced by me, Kazuki Kiba, and Brandon Viser. This episode was edited by Kazuki Kiba with additional research by Brandon Viser. Our theme song is by Kay Margus. Center Our Baseball is a production of Daylight and Media 3 Limited. We'll be back with another episode. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast as more people will know about this show. Go to daylightinteractive.com to see some exclusive updates and more about our upcoming shows. I'm Kazuki Akiba. And I'm Brandon Beiser. And this has been Sound Our Baseball.